Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. It's summer in the Pacific Northwest, and we are slowing down to reflect on the year and plan for the next year. But before we dive into what we're thinking about, I really want to acknowledge, Sarah, you just came back from being evacuated. Yes, we. I live in an area of the Northwest that has experienced significant wildfires this summer. We're still in the middle of them. And I was told to leave my home and was out for 11 days while an amazing wildfire raged in our little valley. Wow, is that a time for reflection and processing that probably still needs to happen over the weeks to come. But one of the things that so stands out for me, aside from questioning in my own mind, is is this the new normal? And will we need as a society to adjust constantly to surprise and unexpected changes in our environment and in our in our communities. Also, though, really struck by how important the nonprofit community is. When we evacuated, we saw so many nonprofits leaping into action. There were emergency aid personnel, there are volunteer firefighters working. Um, There are people donating food to food banks so that evacuees have things to eat. Um, I have so much respect for those working in affordable housing. When you experience instability in your own housing situation, what that feels like, just amazing, even moments of of just calm and, and joy brought by an arts organization sharing a poem. It's just incredible what the nonprofit community does and and how it shows up um, to support anyone in a time of need. And I have always had a deep appreciation for that, but those 11 days um, made that appreciation even deeper. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. I'm so glad that you are safe and that people are coming out the other side of that. And I know my evening news was telling stories of the fire. And to have that human connection and to know that there are so many people working on this issue and coming together to figure it all out. I had a similar experience in terms of appreciation, appreciating the power of nonprofits. In the summer, we travel around and it's really fun to show up in a town and to start to see all the nonprofits. Like you, you start to see the various nonprofits and what they're doing. We work in an amazing sector. So some of the things that I've been thinking about this summer, I just wanted to share in case there, I'd love to get your feedback and hear what you're thinking about. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how we can use what we know about people, what we know about learning, what we know about behavior change in order to help nonprofits do what they want to do, what we need them to do, help people to move to action. I've been speaking at a few nonprofit conferences, a fundraising conference, a finance conference, where they were not interested in the content. So we're not talking about fundraising or finance. We're talking about how do we get people to do the fundraising? How do we get people to do those financial things we want them to do? And that's where one conference framed what I was talking about as hacking the mind. And I love that because so often I'm in a board training or I'm somewhere and an executive director, for example, would say, how do I get my board to raise money? Or how do I get my staff to pay more attention to the finances or something like that? And it seems like if we look at what we know about learning, we could really reverse engineer what we need people to do. So I think a lot about, so first, what is the action that we want people to take? And how do we reverse engineer ourselves to that? 
So if you want to get your board to raise money, for example, how do you reverse engineer what that looks like? So it looks like them explaining your mission confidently or talking about a recent success story of the organization. And then how do you reverse engineer to get to that point? I imagine you do that a lot, Sarah. Totally. And, you know, I know you and I have had numerous conversations. I think this is an area where the nonprofit sector actually can really learn from examples outside of our sector. You and I talk often about Yoga with Adrian, a YouTube channel, right? It's surprisingly addictive. Like I am not a yoga person in general, was not a yoga person in general, but one of the days during the pandemic, I stumbled on her video. And it was just like, oh my gosh, I have to do this again tomorrow. And I have to do this again tomorrow. And it it becomes a, a really powerful thing. And I started to pay attention then. Why, why? I've watched fitness videos before and they don't have the same impact on me. What is it that she does that is so engaging to me? And there are some, I think, really clear lessons from her uh, that you would say are total solid adult learning things we know work. Right. And so it's kind of fun to spend summer months thinking about something else that you've become really engaged in or excited about and peel back like, what is it that they're doing that is making me excited about this? And I know, for example, one of the things that Yoga with Adrian does so well is she acknowledges that you are where you are and that's where you start. And I know you, Nancy, from many trainings often say something just like that. I'm going to throw a bunch of ideas at you for fundraising or finance or whatever, but you are where you are and you start there. And that's a good place to be. And I love looking for these connections between things that engage me and then think, how could I translate that into my work? Yeah. Another thing that Adrian does that I love talking about is what, you know, in the business we call priming. But what that is, you know, just like if you have an old house, you need to prime it before you paint it in order for the paint to stick. Well, there's things that we can do in order to create the space, create the mood, create the emotion for people to do what we want them to do or what they want to do themselves. And one of the things about priming is inviting people to be their best selves. And oh gosh, Adrienne does that. She speaks often about how powerful we are, how strong we are, how capable we are. Now, how does that show up for us in the nonprofit sector? So often we get down on ourselves. Like my board is not doing this or my staff is not doing that or my volunteers are not following the safety rules or whatever. And priming, Robert Cialdini talks a lot about it and he has some great examples and such that like if if a wine shop is playing French music, then you'll buy French wine. If I go up to Sarah on the street and I say, may I have your email address? She won't give it to me. But if I go up to Sarah on the street and I say, hey, are you adventuresome? Yes. May I have your email address? She's more likely to give it to me. So let's think about this. When I I read about all this stuff around people are not doing what we want them to do, what if we acknowledged that board members are actually incredibly courageous? They've stepped forward to serve our communities. That Let's invite them to be their best selves. So if they're so courageous as we believe them to be, I need you to do one more courageous thing. I need you to invite your friends to give money. I need you to call our legislator in order to get them to vote yes on a certain policy. Let's asset frame, let's frame things positively and invite people to be their best selves. That's one thing. Right. And I think even further, it's inviting them and then leading that invitation with the thing they do feel comfortable with. So the other thing Adrian does so great, right, is I can't do most of the yoga poses in the way that she can do. And instead of that being intimidating, she shows us 
what a version would look like that maybe is accessible for me. And she starts there with what I can do. And I think if we frame those, you know, hey, board member, I need you to go ask someone for money, instead of even asking it that way, if it's, I need you to share your passion and your values, that place you already are firm and solid and comfortable in (laughs) with this person um, and engage in a conversation with them, then then it's it starts from this place that they feel comfortable that they oh that's what you want me to do the asking for money part i don't know how to do that that's the pigeon pose that i might never get into <laughs> but but if you ask me to could, can i put my right leg forward and lean into it yeah i can do that and so i also think part of priming right is thinking about how do i how do i present what i want you to do or hope you will do in a way that does match what you're willing to give so it's not manipulation It's not forcing you into tricking you into doing something. It's acknowledging where are you comfortable and how is what I need matching that. And that's the best place for us to start because you're going to do a better job at being a financial manager or a fundraiser or whatever if you're comfortable in that space and just pushed a little to the edge rather than leaping to the edge. I love that because it shows that we can't change other people, but we can change ourselves and we can change our approach to how we present the issue, the question, the ask. And by changing how we present it, by changing how we support their success, they're more likely to be successful. And that's a great thing to reflect on this summer. Absolutely. And along with that goes, in in that process, if that means you break what has long held as a golden rule, right? Like, let's just use the fundraising example. You know, we're always, well... 10 years ago, we were always taught like, oh, it has to be a peer asking a peer. That's the way this works, right? But if in fact, the peer, your board member is not comfortable <laughs> literally asking someone for money, but you are like, you're fine saying, hey, here's our finances. Here's what we need. I'm comfortable talking about money. Then you ask and invite the board member to do the piece they are comfortable with. <laughs> and then Maybe you are actually the one who ends up asking for money. Those rules, they don't need to be so hard and fast anymore. We, I think what we're learning is people do best when things feel authentic and real and passionate. And like, I feel it in my bones and I'm so comfortable talking about this that I want to tell you about this. And so that's what you ask people to do. And if, if that means some conference you went to, they told you, you know, you have to talk seven times before you can ask someone for money or you know, whatever, whatever rule you've heard, loosen your reins on those, um, do the pigeon pose in the way that works for your body and accept that as this is, this is our best foot forward. Priya Parker, who wrote the art of gathering is always talking about if the rules are not working for you, change the rules. Exactly. Right. (laughs) The rules don't matter. But, you know, this brings me to another thing I'm thinking a lot about. I'm reading the book Upstream, and it's about solving problems where they start. And it really is getting me thinking. I've long, you know, we have talked a lot about collaboration and how we can't solve any specific issue ourselves, that we have to work with others. What this is really pushing me to think about is, is not just collaboration right now, but how do we really chart the problems that we're working on upstream and work on those collaborations? Absolutely. You know, I think about these forest fires and and what can we do to make sure that forest fires don't happen again, you know, and that's a big thing like climate change, but it's also a small thing like moving the slash files, right? Yep. Or acknowledging that maybe prescribed fire is a way 
maybe there needs to be some introduction and management changes as we learn over time. And I don't, I don't claim to know all the right answers to those pieces, but I do know if you could get all the, those with expertise and thoughts and lived experience in the room together, you'd probably come up with a great to-do list. And I, I think that's, that's a piece that I hope if your summer still has space in it for that thinking and that, that pause and reflection as you float a river or sit on the beach with your toes in the sand, you know, using these moments to think about what is, what is the upstream issue and who would I bring together? What lived experience people could I have added to the conversation who aren't already? What perspective could we add that might change our thinking about what upstream really is, right? I think sometimes we also think we know what upstream is, but maybe we don't go far enough up the stream. <laughs> um, yeah. Or maybe we only stay within a side channel instead of the main, the main stem of the stream. And so calling just a thought meeting just one. I mean, what if you committed to just having one meeting with a whole wide range of people to say, hey, would you just help me think through this issue? And maybe that'll spark something. Sometimes I think too, we, when we think about upstream or, or thinking to root causes, it overwhelms us or we assume we need to have a foundation to fund this. And it's a 12-year research project with professors involved. And I actually think in a lot of our small communities, sometimes it's just a lunch conversation with 10 people who gets you thinking and get you going. And, and you don't have to know where it's going to lead. You can, you can let go of knowing what the next step is and just know that having the conversation is the first step. Yeah. And, and so often we put a box and keep the problem smaller. The, in Upstream, the author explains a, an interesting example of a domestic violence situation where a very devoted volunteer noticed that no matter how hard they worked on domestic violence, women were still dying. And so the, the short version of the story was that she pulled together anybody who has anything to do with violence against women. And they realized that women who are experiencing domestic violence often start with a broken arm or they start with something that is not being killed. And so how do we stop it there? Mm -hmm. And how do we make the goal, no women die versus a new policy or a new kind of approach? And so often people come together around that small issue of let's have a new policy about how to do X, Y, Z, as opposed to making like, ultimately, we want no more forest fires, no more women killed by domestic violence. If we put that big, bold idea out there, our imagination opens up a whole lot more. Right. And I think the interesting tension that nonprofits live in is we need to be doing that and focused on what's the policy we need next week to move, make progress toward it. Right. So we live in this tension between the, the long-term vision and goal and what are the immediate steps we need to take to start rallying people in our movement around that. And it's okay to be in that tension. It's okay to switch gears between the two as you go. That's one way I think our sector is, is remarkably unique and capable um, is that we, I see organizations switching those gears all the time. Absolutely agree. And, and that brings me to my final reflection this summer and that is every single thing I seem to be doing from curriculum development to planning conferences to reading books to everything, it all comes down to leadership. Yeah, you know, we need leaders who can live in that tension. Yep. Leaders who can work upstream and downstream at the same time. Yep. Building the communities. They're, they're not doing it alone. I'm not saying leaders need to be heroic, you know, superheroes doing both things at the same time. 
but building those communities that that are able to keep an eye on those two those two places. And you know, one of the things that's really become clear to me over the last couple of months, I've been working in a collaborative group with a couple of other nonprofit leaders in my community. And in one of our conversations, we all basically revealed that we don't feel like leaders. I think you're probably a leader and you don't know it out there. And to step into that role doesn't mean you're stepping in to take control or asserting your dominance over anything. It just means you're willing to carry some of the responsibility. Um, And I think most nonprofit people listening to this radio show do that all the time. And so my guess is you already are a leader and it's okay to think of yourself in that way and to think of how you bring along a team of others. Absolutely. To return to our conversation about priming in a very authentic way, we believe that you are all courageous, that you are all committed to a better world. And so leaning into what that means is is a great thing to think about this summer. So our word of the week, I think this week is to think, which I acknowledge is something really hard to do in a nonprofit workday. There's just a lot of doing that has to happen. And it feels weird sometimes to stare into your computer screen and not be typing or to look out the window and just reflect and think. But I actually think it's a really important part of being a solid nonprofit leader and being able to address your mission and your movement in that upstream way. So I don't know what tactics one will use to get there, but it's okay to set aside an hour or two a week to just go think. I absolutely agree. You know, I used some time this summer to clean my office and I pulled out all these file folders of like all these projects I've been working on for the last 18 months. And I reorganized them all and I just started to stare at them and to think about, wow, I accomplished a lot. You accomplished a lot. Everyone listening accomplished a lot last year. And how can I build on it? How can I stop and ponder and think and reflect about what, how I can build on all the work that, that is sitting here in my file drawers. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a little bit of what we've been thinking about this summer. We would sure love to hear from our listeners. What have you been thinking about this summer? And what do you hope we think about this fall together? Thanks for the work you do. You're completely amazing. And we absolutely know you've got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities.